Hey everybody, welcome back to Mystery Misfits. We had to take a break last week, and we almost had to take a break this week, but instead we figured out another way to do it. So, I'm here in studio, Brandon is at home with his microphone, and yeah, that he realized his stand isn't working for, so he has to now hold it like he's a news reporter for the next however long we go. Um... Well, it was either that or the light would always be behind me the whole time. So if I turn where the window's in front of me, it's just easier to hold the microphone. So yeah, it'll be more like a news reporter today. Yeah, there we go. You know, we're, we're reporting the good news, right? That's right. So, speaking of good news, we're talking about kind of good news in a way. Yep. This is something that you had suggested. And for those that enjoyed the way we did the Trinity, we're kind of doing it that way again. If you didn't enjoy the way we did the Trinity, maybe you'll like it better this time. Who knows? Brandon, what is it that we are actually talking about? Today we are talking about peace. Peace. Yes. And you are the one that suggested this. Why is it that you suggested talking about peace? Um, Over the last couple of weeks... The word just like kept popping up to me. It felt like God kept showing it to me. Um, specifically, when I was sitting down and reading First Peter three eleven, where it says they will turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. So as I was kind of sitting in quiet time and being like, what does it mean to seek peace? And then as I was like trying to wrestle through that, I feel like other areas of peace kept popping up, and I started thinking I'm like. What does it truly look like from a biblical sense to seek that peace and how do we pursue it? Um, And it was something that I was like, I don't know if I've truly fully had that understanding of what that looks like to pursue it. And we're going to talk about why that is the case, because pretty much everybody should be able to agree with that last statement. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to start with the way we always start we're going to actually define what it is we're dealing with here brandon give us webster's first of all what let's define peace from a dictionary standpoint yes and as we get into more of the scripture later on we'll definitely be parting it out from the worldly definition that i'll be giving here in a second from webster's and more of a biblical definition as well so Going into the Webster's version, there's a couple different definitions, and the first ones are more of a noun. Um, A state of tranquility or quiet, freedom from disquieting or oppressive thoughts or emotions, harmony in personal relationships, and in more of the verb sense, to be, become, or keep silent or quiet. And now the, the first definition is one that is talking about kind of corporate peace in a way. We're talking it's tranquil, it's quiet, because it's a freedom from civil disturbance or state security or it's community security, whether it's because of laws or customs or just a general agreement. Yep. 
the last one you talked about is literally the exact same thing that we had with number one, but in more of a personal sense of tranquil and quiet. And it's just defining who we are. That's the worldly definition, not a bad definition, but it's the world definition. Within scripture, we've got three different words. In Hebrew, the main one that everybody knows, Brandon, do you know what it is? Most people know it. Be shale? No, but you're close. I'm not going to buzz you because you're close. It's shalom. Shalom, there we go. <clears throat> yes, which is completeness, soundness, welfare, peace. But it comes from shalom, which is to be made complete or to amend. Which has a little bit of a different idea of where peace comes from than the worldly definition. We'll get to that in a minute. Because in the Greek, you have Irene, which is to be made one or to have peace, quietness, and rest. And it doesn't seem like those go together until the word that it comes from in the Greek that I forgot to write down is the same word that is meant to join or tie together and be made whole. So this would be the same thing as almost stitching and grafting and everything else. So you've got within Webster, it's all about a sense of finding oneself. But in scripture, we have the idea of not finding oneself, but having oneself put together. Now, Brandon, you found a list of some of the more, more popular verses that deal with peace. Get Walk us through some of these different ones that you found dealing with it within Scripture. Yeah, and I think you were going to tell us how many verses. Yeah, I will after you, after you read through some of these here. Perfect. Yeah, I feel like some of these at least define peace um, or at least give us where peace is coming from. So the first one is in John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So as I won't get, we'll dive into these a little bit further, but just kind of seeing that there, that the world is what doesn't provide us peace, but it's through Christ. Um, 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. As I'll read some other verses, it mentions like the God of peace or the Lord of peace. And so that's a defining attribute or characteristic. <laughs> we can debate that from our huddle um, of who God is. Um, in Philippians 4, 6-7, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Um, then we have Galatians 5, 22, where peace is one of the fruits of the Spirit. We'll talk about Colossians 3, 15 a little bit later. And then in Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's more of our direct relationship with Jesus, having peace there um, versus extending it to others. 
And then Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And then lastly, the one that I wanted to highlight was 2 Thessalonians 3, 16. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. So again, defining the Lord or God as peace coming from him. Now, these verses are not the only verses that deal with it at all. Like we won't have, we would not have time. Old Testament, the word shalom shows up 237 times. And the New Testament, the word Irene shows up 92 times. So we deal with this a lot. And part of it is because, like we said at the beginning, it is kind of complicated to understand what we actually mean when we talk about peace. And some of it is because of this idea of the worldly definition. The worldly definition dealing with finding peace, and especially in state senses, in terms of war and in terms of, you know, geopolitical peace, we do find that in scripture. Yeah. You know, we, we find that all over the place. I mean, literally the whole time frame for what sets up the gospel is what's referred to in history as the Pax Romana, which means what, Brandon, in Latin? This is basic world history, so come on now. I do not know this one. Put that buzzer on me. I don't know this one. World it is the Roman peace. It's the era of Roman peace, even though historically it wasn't actually peaceful. The idea was that at this time, Rome was at peace, which is why... Augustus decided it's time to count up the people. We're not at war. There's no more civil war. So we're going to just count up the people. That's why we have everything playing out the way it does within the, the start of the Gospels. So you have some ideas of that. And then we just look through those however many verses that was because, you know, counting. Um And you have a couple of different ideas of where peace comes from and why it's there. And so we are going to start walking through the different aspects of what peace actually is. And you already started us on that a little bit. The first thing we've got to recognize, though, is that worldly peace is a temporary state. Yes. None none of the definitions listed provide us with any kind of a permanent peace. No matter how hard the UN tries. <laughs> you know, we talked about this, you know, those that paid attention on social media know we we were pushing the um Cold War theology episode back out with all the Christian nationalism trends going on. One of the things we talked about there was the fact that within the League of Nations, when it formed after World War One, the thought was we've achieved world peace now. And it didn't. And then at the end of World War II, the thought was we've achieved world peace now that we've taken care of it and we got the United Nations. And then immediately the world was thrown into the threat of nuclear war. Peace is not, worldly peace is not something that can be held onto permanently, ever. 
especially depending upon who's who's the oppressed and who's the oppressor. Right. Defining the peace. Right. Which goes back into the CRT stuff of where just because it's talking oppressor and oppression does not mean that is anti-biblical because this is literally what we're seeing here is that you cannot have actual peace from a worldly standpoint. There's always somebody within the world that is going to oppress or be oppressed. That's just the way it is. And we have sin to blame for all of it. But now biblical peace, all the stuff that we just read, they all have common threads to them, even though they all deal with it a little bit differently. And the big piece is that they're all wrapped up in God. And when we say God, we're talking about God in terms of what we talked about the last episode that we actually got out, where we're talking about a triune God is where peace comes from. And this is important because specifically most of the biblical peace applications comes from which part of the Trinity, Brandon? I would say the Holy Spirit. Yes. I can't find it. There it is. <laughs> the Spirit is where peace lies for the most part. And now we're going to walk through, we've got three different things that we can pull out to kind of help us try to define biblical peace before we break and then actually start actually dialing in on all of this stuff. So the first thing is that peace is a characteristic or attribute of God. And we see this in Judges 6.24. This is where we get the word or the name for God, Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. The Lord are peace, depending on which way you want to translate it. And we see this in Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, where we get the name, the Prince of Peace. But now this is where we're going to dive back into last episode a little bit because Isaiah chapter 9, Brandon, do you know what it might be? It's one of those Christmas carols that you always hear. Uh, something of peace on to earth. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Almighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father, and these are coming out of order, I know. We have a list of names for who the Messiah is supposed to be. But the fun thing with it is that you have it's talking about the Son, and we know it's talking about the Son. But the names that are given for him are Everlasting Father, Wonderful Counselor, which we talked about before. Almighty God, which is the name for the Father. And he is the Prince of Peace. And peace is coming from the Spirit. This is part of, again, why we said before the Trinity is such an important piece to all of this. Because we don't have 
the characteristics of God if all three of them do not possess them, but they show themselves in different ways. And so as we go beyond that, if these are characteristics of God, then these are also, then peace is something that is also supposed to be a characteristic of those that follow him. So you already pointed out Galatians 5, the fruits of the spirit. Yep. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. This is also what you see, you already pointed out as well as within the Beatitudes for Matthew 5. We are called to be peacemakers. We're supposed to stand in the gap and make peace. You know, this is why we also have, have the Bible tell us that we are supposed to, if at all possible, maintain peace with everyone. The key part of that phrase is, if at all possible. <laughs> yeah, and that's why... Kind of diving into this initially, I, I joked when I talked with you at first and said, I think sometimes we think peace is not disagreeing with somebody or keeping away the argument. So, all right, what's better, Pepsi or Coke? And you say Pepsi, but I'm on Team Coke. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. Just to. It's not Coke, it's Pepsi. I agree too, but I'm just, for my point's sake. Um, but sometimes I think that's what we think it is, is agreement versus what we'll talk about later on. And that that deals with the fact that the worldly definition has gotten caught up in the biblical. Because a worldly definition of peace is temporary. And it's one that is dependent upon both parties agreeing to have peace. That's not what we see in scripture, because what we see in scripture is that there is a permanent peace because God is permanently peace. And that he calls for Christians to be permanently peaceful. Even though we fail at it, just like we fail at everything else, we're called to be fully. And part of the reason why we fail at it is because peace specifically is a gift of God. That's John 14, which is Jesus talking about the fact he's about to send a counselor down to help us. Or I think it's specifically John 14, 27. Peace I give to you. Peace I leave you. It's a gift of God. It's not something that we are capable of getting on our own. This is why when we go back to the Hebrew and Greek definitions, they are dealing with the idea of completeness and being tied together because it's not something that we can naturally find and naturally come upon. It only comes upon us when we are made complete in Christ because he is peace. And because he is peace, he's going to give us the ability to find peace as well and then be defined by it. Now, Brandon, you had brought up a few things in your your research as far as how to get peace or how to find more peace from a biblical setting. Yep. So, so dive I into would say, it. yeah. So I would say the the first thing is knowing our place with God. Since we 
know that peace is an attribute of of God of the Spirit. Um, I think we need to know where our standing is at with God because I think before we can truly give and seek peace for others, we need to know where our peace or our source is coming from. So it's knowing that God chose us and adopts us into his family and that we are his children and that we are loved. And that by with that, as you already mentioned earlier, we're all sinners and have fallen short, but there's that love and grace there. So as our situations change within the world, God still loves us no matter what. We may make mistakes. People may not like us. They they won't like us. (laughs) But knowing our relationship with God is still there and that he always loves us and calls calls for us to come back to him, um, I think is where we kind of got to start and that our identity is in him, that Imago Dei, as we've talked about before, and so you already alluded to it a little bit. If we are made in his image, peace should be an outpouring of us if we are truly trying to live out um, God's calling to us. So that's where I think it, it starts is knowing our place with God and being, no pun intended, at peace or at rest in who God calls me as a son of Christ or a daughter of Christ, of who he calls us to be, those labels that somebody else will put on us from the outside of the world will continue to change. Um, but those labels of of love and um, being knitted together in our mother's womb, like those are true foundational truths that God gives us that we can hold on to and cling to and start to have peace with through God. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to actually take what we just looked at, both in terms of definitions and characteristics, as well as what Brandon just walked through as far as how we actually get, how we're able to get to that point. We're going to apply that with two different sections of scripture when we come back from this break. We'll be right back. Season two of the Ministry Misfits podcast and our awesome theme song are brought to you by Laird Creative Agency. In our social media world, the next connection is always one click or scroll away and your business has to be ready when they find you. That's why Laird Creative is always looking for ways to step your brand up. Whether you're looking to overhaul your brand one time with a new website or want to save money by outsourcing your graphic and media content, Laird Creative Agency is here to help. Laird Creative's mission is to take the difficulty out of the creative process. With Laird Creative, you'll find a dedicated team of artists ready to tackle any creative need that your business has, big or small. If you're looking for an easier way to share the vision of your organization through thoughtful branding and creative content, find them at LairdCreativeAgency.com to get started. Mention the Ministry Misfits podcast and get a free consultation call. Laird Creative, step your brand up.
we're back. Hey everyone, welcome back to Ministry Misfits. Today, Andrew and I are talking about peace and what that looks like to truly find and pursue peace. So initially, we started off with, as always, like we like to do, the Webster's definition of peace, <laughs> and that that is a temporary state, um, whether that's situational or relationship with somebody. Um, and then also where we get the biblical piece of Shalom and Christ being the Prince of Peace. And so we've talked about some different verses previously. So recently, Andrew, we're getting into how do we actually have peace? So before break, I talked about knowing our place with God uh, and just kind of what he's called us to and how he loves us. Um, and how we can sit in those truths to have peace with God. I think that's where we have to start. So the next part I wanted to talk about is almost the outward extension part then next of, okay, we know where our relationship is at with God. Now, what what kind of do I do from there? So I feel like the next thing is the putting on the new self, which we see in Colossians chapter 3. So I'm going to read verses 5 through 17 specifically, and it says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek or Jew, Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Sicadian, slave, free, but Christ is all and all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if and if one has a complaint against another, forgive, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so that you might also forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So that was a lot to to read through, and we can kind of slowly break down some of this here. Um, But I think this at least initially gives us a good idea of what the opposite of peace is initially. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. As we kind of look at verse seven of basically putting away anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth or from your mouth. Those are obviously things that are the opposite of peace in a way and are not going to bring harmony to any relationship. (laughs) And they're really, and this is the fun thing that, you know, people that, study just Paul and really nothing else can find 
is that all the time Paul uses these you know, the different types of logical ways of writing. You know, here he's going, you know, this is the opposite of we want. So if you identify with this, then you definitely need to listen because I'm going to tell you why this is bad and what you need to look like. If you don't identify with this, you need to listen to make sure that you do identify with the second half. So he's drawing everybody in. But overall, the list that he gives there are basically the opposites of what we see in Galatians 5 with the fruits of the spirit. You have lying, you have anger, wrath, malice, slandering, obscene talk. All of these different things are the opposites of what we have when we have the fruits of the Spirit. Which is what he then goes into with the second half. Yeah, the other thing I was... I came to as well as I talked about the first verse that I read initially at the start of the episode was John 16, 33 mm -hmm. of these. I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace in this world. You will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And so again, on that first part, we're seeing what the world will bring you. Um, no matter how much you want to try to avoid it, those, those <laughs> things will be a um, occurrence throughout our lives. But, then it shows us what we should be seeking. And again, putting on that new self of how do we have compassion, patience, um, kindness, humility. And I think part of that too is our relationship with God. Again, back to part one, what I was saying, it's that humility side of knowing that I am not in control, that God is my mm -hmm. creator. Part of that humility starts there. And then part of that humility is also then with our relationships with other people. So I, yeah, this is, I feel like a key verse on what to do next is putting on our new self. Um, a lot, a lot of people, as we know, like to talk about love, which is also a key component here. And above all these put on love, which binds everything together, but then it's the, and, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Well, and it's why we talked about the Greek and Hebrew definitions first is that peace is about being bound together. And what is it that binds us together is the love of Christ. And so when we have the love of Christ, we are able to actually find peace because we are love is what binds us together. And the other part of this verse that deals with peace that I think we need to also address is that second part you just talked about as far as the relationship with others. Because, you know, we talk first about the fact that, you know, if we have our identity in Christ, then we are able to find peace because he is peace and then he is love. And those two things are what brings peace with within us as a person. When we have our identity in Christ, when we put Christ on instead of our own desires, all of those sort of things. But like we said, worldly peace is temporary. And the world is going to continue to try to remind us of that fact. So how do we then go about continuing in love and peace when everything around us tells us that we should not be love and peace? And that's what we find towards the end of this as far as we're supposed to bear with one another we're supposed to forgive each other, go to each other, just as the Lord has forgiven us. 
we put on love and then we bind everything together in perfect harmony and we let the peace of Christ rule and then we let the word of Christ dwell in us and we admonish each other, we praise Christ and we do this through what it talks about is a corporate gathering. It's the the singing of psalms, it's the reading of the word, it's the bearing each other, bearing each other's burdens. It's the praying for each other. It's the forgiving of each other. It's having a united front under the love of Christ. Peace should be able to be found within a community of believers. That's part of what one of the functions of the church is, right? Yeah. Functions are love God and then love others. Others doesn't just mean people outside the walls, even though that's one that we focus on most of the time on here. We focus on that because we unfortunately within our churches don't focus enough on the people outside of our walls. But we also within our churches have a hard time focusing on the people within our walls within this sort of thinking. Anybody that has ever been a part of a business meeting within a church knows that peace does not come easy even in a church setting. Because as soon as you ask somebody what color the carpet should be, suddenly the camps start forming. (laughs) But that's not how we are supposed to act within our churches because if we are put on the new Christ and made that our identity then it doesn't matter what color the carpet the carpet is what matters is okay why is this person not themselves this morning let's go and be the love of Christ to them and remind them of whose they are so that they can be united back in and have peace both personally and corporately yep and if that worldly side of us comes out where we are divisive and dividing yeah then for us then on the returning side to be patient and not reciprocate that same divisiveness and the the other key thing you just talked about there though is this the word divisiveness because we get it thrown at us quite a bit because the idea is if if you are not keeping peace, then you are divisive, which is what we see here. The problem is that we have, that's using the worldly definition of peace when we hear people throw out the word divisive most of the time. Because part of what we see here in Colossians 3 is that part of how we put on the new self of Christ is by being in the word of Christ. And so sometimes the way to see peace is to what the world would say, do the opposite of making peace. This is where we see the idea of correction and rebuke come in out of 2 Timothy. But the key to all of this is what Paul talks about here. He talks about with Galatians 5. He talks about it in in Timothy. He talks about it in, in Corinthians when he goes through all of the different giftings and things like that. 
is that the key to this actually remaining keeping peace with everyone is the way that we go about doing these sort of things. Because if we put the love of Christ on first, even when we have to do these hard things of keeping others accountable or calling others out, it can be done from an attitude of peace and love rather than wrath and divisiveness, which leads to slander, which leads to malice, all of these things that were listed back at the beginning of the passage. I also like that it says from your mouth, as in yes. you, not worrying about what the other person has to say, because that'll come naturally, but keeping yes. it away from your mouth. Which, again, is the idea of who is our identity? Is our identity what they are saying, or is our identity what Christ has already told us we are? Because if it's about what Christ has told us we are, my mouth is the one I got to worry about. Not yeah, their identity doesn't change right. in Christ. There, it's and and this is part of what we talked about this, the work of the Spirit is that the conviction comes on us, not on other people, because that is who the Spirit is in charge of is us. The Spirit will work on them, on their time, not on ours. Our job is to put on the love of Christ, to admonish each other, and to be at peace whenever possible. Now there's one other aspect we need to cover, and we're going to go into a different chapter for this because within a worldly concept of what the idea of peace actually is from a personal standpoint, we run into the problem of the fact that we as a nation, at least in America, and I'm sure this is much more of a, we can find this generationally throughout the rest of the world as well. But I know for a fact within the U.S., anxiety is probably almost more of a human trait that if you don't have it, you're the one that has something wrong with you at this point. Would that be an accurate statement, you think? I would think so. At some point in your life, currently over the age of 10, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you don't even have to go that high. Because, I mean, even my toddler right now, well, I guess she's, yeah, she's still technically a toddler. Four is still technically a toddler. It's that in-between stage. Anxiety is something that she deals with because she knows what's happening in the world around her. <laughs> you know, the spoiler alert and maybe warning for those parents of this age that haven't already seen this. The newest, the new Paw Patrol movie that came out last fall. Nobody had any idea the fact that it was dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder. Chase has PTSD the entire time. My daughter was not happy about the fact that Chase was not happy. <laughs> and so we still, she wants to watch it, but doesn't want to watch it because she doesn't like the fact that Chase is unhappy and she can't understand why he's unhappy, but she knows that there's something not right. Because hmm. anxiety is something that we naturally have and get 
So then how do we go about this idea of when we put on the new self, we should have peace when anxiety is still going to come about. And so this is what we're going to read in Philippians chapter four. And we are going to read the whole chapter because it's not that much longer than what Brandon already read. So we'll be okay. So, so then my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown in this manner stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I urge you Dota and I urge Cynthia to agree in the Lord. Yes. I also ask you true partners to help these women who have, contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my need several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. But I have received everything in full, and I have in abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Within this chapter, you have multiple verses. One, dealing with peace. And two, that are commonly pulled out by themselves and misused and misapplied either to provide a physical, I don't even know what, for yourself, encouragement for yourself, or as a way to shame other believers. Yeah, it's almost the pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality of just get it together. But that's not what we have here. What Paul actually gives us is the recipe to pull ourselves out of anxiety. Not how to prevent yourself from ever being anxious again. Is the first thing we need to talk about. Anxiety does not equal sin. No matter what some of these Twitter pastors want to tell you 
Anxiety and depression do not equal sin. It also does not mean that you have lost your peace. And that is part of what we're going to start walking through within this chapter. One side note that Paul deals with that I always feel the need to address because, again, this gets misused. Paul is thanking the Philippians for supporting the ministry. Mm. And he's thanking them not because he needs the stuff, but because he needed the encouragement from them. Not because he needed the financials. He needed the financials to be able to do the work, but God was going to supply his needs. That's what the actual context of the verse, my God will supply all your needs, is actually talking about. Is that if God gives you a task, he's going to provide you with the resources to do it. Not just whatever you want. Not just whatever you want. And God will supply the needs for those that may have to sacrifice something for someone else to be able to do the work as well. That's what the actual idea of putting your tithes in the storehouse and seeing God multiply it actually looks like as well. When we actually look at these things in context, it's not about building ourselves up at all. Because it's all about getting rid of that old self like we talked about in Colossians 3. Because our identity is no longer us, our identity is Christ. So that's a complete side note, but that's something that, again, we needed to address because it's right here in front of us. But when we get back into the peace stuff, we start seeing the fact that we have Paul saying, rejoice always, be gracious to everyone because God is near you. Don't worry about anything. Don't be anxious. And that's the message that we hear a lot of the time of, well, if you're a Christian, you cannot be unhappy or you cannot be anxious or you cannot have worry or you cannot be depressed. And that usually gives people anxiety. <laughs> it gives people anxiety. Nobody wants to have somebody tell you that you should not be anxious while you're anxious. And unfortunately, I'm sure you probably are the same way, Brandon, with Emily. Saying that is the natural response when you're trying to calm somebody down. Yeah, just don't it's, do it. <laughs> yes. There's nothing to worry about is the truth, but it always doesn't help. But sometimes it does have to be said still. <laughs> yeah. You know, and again, this is the hard thing about being in the world that we are in is that there is things to be anxious about. But the Bible tells us that we don't need to be anxious about them. And again, this goes back to how are we actually approaching all of these things? If we are approaching these things with the love of Christ, these things that seem like contradictions are not actually contradictions. And specifically, verse 7 is why it is not a contradiction. And, it's verses, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is why this topic is so difficult to deal with. Is because for us as believers and using a biblical definition for peace, 
we can't understand it. We cannot explain it. There's no, there is no earthly method of communication for people to be able to understand what it is that we talk about when we talk about the peace of God as believers. It's not possible. You know, Paul gives us a good idea of how we can improve upon trying to explain it and improve upon helping others recognize it in themselves with thinking on things that are honorable and pure and just and lovely and commendable, moral excellence, praiseworthy, dwell on those things. And the reason we dwell on those things, because all those things are things that only God can give nothing else. And so our focus goes back on Christ, which reminds us of whose we are and where the peace is coming from. But overall, the peace of God is not something that we can grasp or understand. No, and that's the toughest part is when you are anxious or depressed of wanting to just grasp or cling on to that peace. Um, where I think as we talked about in verse eight, it's a, a practice that continually needs to happen and improve upon as far as like that dwelling upon what is excellent and praiseworthy um, and just sitting and resting and being in God's presence of trying to just rest in that peace. Right. It's, it's something where, you know, the, once you actually experience it in a way where you recognize where, whose peace it is and where it comes from, it becomes unmistakable as far as what it actually is. And that, that's the other side of this is that unfortunately the only way to fully experience it is to have to experience the opposite. The anxiety, the depression, all of those different things. You know, when, here's a, when here's a question for you. Do we see Jesus being anxious anywhere in the Bible specifically? I mean, he literally is sweating blood in the garden. So, I mean, I think we could probably qualify that as an anxious level that most of us never get to, where our body actually reacts by sweating out blood. I mean, you are more of a, a, a Nat Fizz guy than I am and can probably explain it a little bit better, or we can get Emily to explain it a little bit better. But the idea of sweating blood would mean that you're, your blood vessels and veins have to be close enough to the pores for it to come out, which means that the blood has to be racing to the point where your arteries and veins and everything are expanded out. Your heart is beating that hard and that fast. Basically qualify that as a panic attack, even more so than just anxiety that Jesus is having a panic attack in the garden. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point where it's not specifically spelled out, but you can kind of put two and two together. So for me personally, my experience with actually seeing the difference between normal peace and what this peace that passes understanding is would be when we lost Carson. Depression is setting in. Anxiety is setting in. Those are there. But at the same time, there is a sense of peace and understanding that this is not a permanent state there. 
Doesn't mean that there was no anxiety. Doesn't mean that there was no depression. Doesn't mean there was no anger. Doesn't mean there was none of these other things. But it was there with a sense of there is a time and a season for everything like we see in Ecclesiastes. That is not the way that we normally hear peace talked about or especially as believers, because we look at anxiety as a sign of there is no peace there. Anxiety is a natural human reaction. We already have said that. That does not go away. But what Paul tells us here is not don't have anxiety. He says don't be anxious. He's talking about a habitual thing of where you are just constantly in worry and anxiety and just wondering what's happening next. That's not what we're supposed to do. And that's why he says the key to this is whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is you know excellent, pure, lovely, commendable, that is what we are supposed to put our minds on. Because when our minds are there, then our focus is drawn into the, per- the person that is honorable and just and pure and holy and commendable and excellent and praiseworthy, which is Christ. And when our mind is drawn back to who Christ is, then it reminds us of who we are. And it reminds us of who we are. Then we go back to Colossians 3 of where we are able to put on our new self. And we are able to go about our day. And we are able to go about it with other believers who are doing the same thing and who are able to remind us of that fact when we can't feel it as strongly as we could before. That is what the peace of God in an earthly setting actually looks like. So let us know what you think. We do have one other thing we probably need to say with all of this. If you are dealing with anxiety, depression, any of those sort of things, talking to somebody, believer or not, is a good option. Mm -hmm. Believers are going to remind us of the fact that we are made in the image of God and that we have put on the mind of Christ and that we have this peace that passes understanding. That's the advantage of talking with believers. That's why we are supposed to be in community. That's what we saw in Colossians three. That's what we see here in, in, in Philippians four. Also talking to other believers is helpful, but if you have to go beyond that, Counseling, psychiatry are valid things. They are not sinful. Because unfortunately, again, there is a trend online of pastors and churches and other Christians telling you that if you go to a counselor, you are not doing what Paul is telling us to do here. Whether it's a Christian counselor or not, doesn't matter if they are trained to help you and are trained on the way that the human mind works medically and scientifically, they are going to be able to help you begin to get back to the process of where being with other believers will remind you of the stuff that we just talked about in Colossians 3 and Philippians 4. 
there's nothing wrong with doing that. And don't let anybody tell you that there is. So, hopefully this is a little bit clearer than when we started. <laughs> Since yes. we ended with the fact that it's, un- under- it's not understandable and there's no way to define it. I don't know how much clearer it actually got. but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so hopefully people at least have, have the ability to see the difference between the piece that God offers versus the, as we said, situational piece that yes. the word world may or may not provide <laughs> at all. That's a and good word for it. Situational. I'll give you a bell for that. Situational piece. Perfect. I'll give you the bell for that one. I'll work for Webster now. There you go. If you don't want to have to have Brandon work for Webster's, there's another way you can support us the way that Paul talks about in Philippians 4 as well. Patreon.com. We're still on there. Go to patreon.com backslash mystery misfits. You guys can support the show there on any of the four tiers. Um, there is some bonus content in there from Christian Taylor and Joash Thomas, as well as hopefully we'll have some more bonus content coming out here soon as well. Um, you also can still go on our website, mysterymisfits.com, and click on the store button. There's the affiliate deals as well as the link to the Misfits merch and the Teak Fatis, which are also still there as well. And again, all 70% of the profits from Teak Fatis goes back to the work that Teakfa is doing, providing this training and sense of peace for the kids in our neighborhood here in Canton. So Brandon, hopefully we'll be healthy enough to be back next week. We yep. believe if nothing else goes wrong, that Dr. Beth Allison Barr will be back with us to talk sermons and sermonology and the way that the church actually is supposed to do that sort of stuff. And so we will see you all then. Go in peace. The Ministry Misfits podcast is a production of Ministry Misfit Media in association with Overwhelming Victory. Dr. Greg Linville and Andrew Fouts are our executive producers, and Brandon Simmons is associate producer. The Ministry Misfits theme song is written and produced by J.D. Laird and Laird Creative Agency. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at ministrymisfitmedia at gmail.com or by following at Ministry Misfit on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. You can also visit our website at www.ministrymisfits.com or through bio.link backslash ministrymisfits. If you would like to support Ministry Misfits, you can become a patron by going to patreon.com backslash ministrymisfits. 